Welcome everyone. Good afternoon. Nice to be here with all of you. And um, so I'll speak a little bit and uh, try to give a little more time for questions. We can interact a little bit more. I get to know you a little bit better. If that's all right. And so, what shall we talk about? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. Well, we talk about bhakti, so bhakti is a path, a marg, a path, a way. It's, um, we'll talk a little bit about that. It's interesting in that the way, the means, is at the same time the ends. So I talked a little bit about this last night, bhakti unto itself, for itself, for its own sake, so to speak. In the bhakti tradition we have what's called sadhana bhakti. Sadhana means for sadhakas. Sadhaka means like practitioner. But bhakti, bhakti comes from the root, uh, Sanskrit root, budj, which means to uh, it means to 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 give and to sh- to share to give it's kind of like a give and a take is what it means give and receive um, and it's ultimately about love so how do you practice love <laughs> that's a pretty hard thing to do it's something that you really can't practice you can observe others in love and so forth and get some sense about it and so forth. It's very difficult to describe. It's, it's for someone who hasn't had the experience, you can't describe what is falling in love, for example, is like. And of course, once you do, then you never can forget that either. <laughs> and you try your whole life to understand it and explain it to others and, and so on. So it means to say then about bhakti that really it speaks about something that is beyond, the words don't do justice to, that the mind doesn't do justice to. doesn't mean we can't talk about it, but it means more like there's not enough that could be said about it. So we always have something to say about it. Hmm. Um, but nonetheless, we have sadhana bhakti, bhakti as a practice. So it's kind of a misnomer in a, in a sense, because how can you practice love? But again, if we are in the proximity of lovers, then something can kind of wear off on us, how they interact, and we find it desirable, and, and, uh, and so on. So the bhakti as a practice, it, um, it involves a sangha, association, and some... some, some uh, and ideally a sangha or an association of those who have bhakti proper bhakti as in a sadhaka or sadhana bhakti as a practitioner would be like kind of bhakti like a bhakti uh, apprentice if you will something like that so for example we, we, we meet someone in bhakti who has Bhava. This is the next stage. Bhakti and ecstasy. This is 
bhakti proper, so to speak. And then as that bhakti and ecstasy is churned, hmm, there's an internal uh, kind of process to that. It turns into what we call prem. And prem means, is, is, this, is this bhava or ecstasy distilled? Prem means love. Hmm? So bhakti in practice, bhakti in ecstasy, and bhakti in, in love. Hmm? Love of God. Three stages. So it's bhakti for bhakti for bhakti. In other words, you do sadhana bhakti for bhava bhakti. Bhakti in practice to attain bhakti in ecstasy, to attain, if you will, bhakti in love. So it's bhakti. For bhakti's sake, it's something like ripe, an unripened mango, and then, you know, it's about to ripen. You can smell it. It's this, it's, uh, the blossom has come, you know, the fruit will come soon, something like that. So there's the tree, you planted the seed, um, and in that stage there's some there's some work to do. You, know, you have to dig the hole, you have to put the seed, you have to water it, and, and so forth. You get some advice from someone who knows how to do that, and, and there may be some periods where you wonder, <laughs> is anything going to come here? <laughs> hmm? Is, any, is there going to be any, you know, there's, uh, I see leaves, but uh, there's no blossoms, so to speak, of fruit, and and we're hungry from the start. That's how we get involved. How do we get involved in bhakti? Adu, shraddha, it is said. Adu, it means here, beginning. The beginning is shraddha. Shraddha means faith. Faith in the efficacy of bhakti. And where do we get that? That comes from Someone who has faith in bhakti, it's kind of a contagious thing. Who, you know, who, who has to talk about it, who has to just, is living that. I am, in the Gita, Krishna says, but shraddha mayo, I am purusho. A little bit about faith. A person is their faith. Faith is sometimes thought to be an absence of reason. Well, you can't reason about it, so you just believe it and you fill the gap, something like that. But from the bhakti perspective, it's quite different. Reason is, an, is only an aspect of faith, actually. It's, it's reasonable to... And, and faith is, not, is a little bit different than belief here. Belief would be a shadow of faith. Faith implies some, it's active. It's the removal of doubt, which suspends animation. You think about it. When you doubt, well, you, you don't know what to do. You, how do you, you're doubting, so you're suspended. Hmm? Faith is really the principle in one sense in life that gets us moving. If you have faith in something, then you... You go for it, right? So to the extent that we are in doubt, our animation is suspended. And material existence is a huge doubt. It's a huge question. I talked about it last night. It's why. Why am I? What am I? There's a doubt. Hmm? It's a good thing in a sense, but it also is something that we're to move through. In other words, doubts are meant to be answered, to be cleared. 
So faith in the way I'm speaking about it is absence of doubt, and with the absence of doubt, then there's animation. So this means that the self, as the questions, the doubts are clear, starts to come out. It has a life of its own. So faith is, is, in other words, we can apprehend a thing theoretically by reason. But to actually apprehend a thing, you have to get involved with it. In other words, you can sit on the fence and analyze the apple, what it's like. So you have to get off the fence and taste it to really know it. Hmm? So reason doesn't afford us the same kind of knowing, if you will, same kind of acquaintance or apprehension of a thing, Hmm? apprehending, understanding a thing as faith does, and as much as faith animates us to participate and, you know, bite the apple, and and then what can you say, how does it taste, you know? Well, it touches this taste bud here, and this one there, and this goes off in my brain, and, you know, what have you said about tasting it to someone who hasn't had the experience? Hmm. So faith in the bhakti context, it, it, it implies in, in, um, not sitting on the fence, so to speak, it's, it means doubts have been cleared sufficiently or enough to get involved. And of course, Lisa may put out a nice quote for me. I hadn't remembered saying it on Facebook with regard to this event, last night's event, I guess, and the aftermath here. I had said that, among other things, in the quote that she gave, that um, you know, the idea was something like this. Faith is sometimes described about as like being out on a limb, but that's where the fruit is. You have to go there. That's where the fruit is. That's where it will be tasted. We think, oh, there's... We will think at first there'll be something to risk. But we'll find out in the end there was nothing to risk and everything to gain. All that we thought we had was not ours. We couldn't keep it anyway. Not one ounce of it, not one penny of it could we keep. So we thought about it wisely, coming to that conclusion, and give it then to whom it it means acknowledge to whom it actually belongs. That's but you're in a, you're in a, start to become wealthy then, you understand? Because hmm? hmm. you belong also, and you're finding you're acknowledging to whom that we're part of something. We're not the whole. Very nice idea. So faith, in this sense, when we speak about it as the beginning of bhakti, it's 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 a very tangible thing. It's it's reason is only an aspect of faith. Hmm? Let it say we reason about the world and its complexities and so forth. We would come to the logical conclusion that it's that the world itself uh, is not going to fit between our ears. It's just too. I mean, science is often presented as being very precise, but when we get into <laughs> physics, it becomes very abstract, and uh, and all kinds of possibilities uh, exist. Um, you know, universes all around us, kind of ideas and so forth. It's very abstract. Uh, so it's a huge affair. Hmm? 
and uh, to fit it all within our head is is unreasonable. Yeah, the prospect of that. And so we are awed then by the mystery of life and the natural and logical reaction is to is to is to have is to have some kind of trust in order to go on. Hmm? I have to trust in again again that there's something there's some uh, unforeseen uh, meaning to the purpose to the mystery. I can't unlock it, but anyway, so faith is kind of a natural, in a general sense, I'm speaking, reaction to the mystery of life that you can't solve. Hmm? No matter how much you adore and put on your altar uh, reason, it, it doesn't have the key to unlock the mystery. So what to do? You, you have a, you, 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 to, go, to go on. You trust. Well, it must be. It must be good. <laughs> it must be. Uh, it must be friendly. It doesn't appear always friendly. Life, but we we, we sense uh, that it is. This is faith, and this it animates us. Enables us to go forward, hmm? and practically speaking, this type of um, orientation to life it does mystically answer questions that uh, reasoning cannot. It 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 it, it satisfies us. It 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 it, uh, it brings a kind of knowing that um, that um, fulfills one, makes one happy, hmm? loving. That is. Hmm? Um, and the path of loving, if you will, I'm talking about this is this is bhakti as a path, as a spiritual path. That's what bhakti means. It's a love path. There are other paths to transcendence. There's a knowledge path. There's the um, the um, I want to say the uh, the um, the yoga path as yoga as a discipline aside from bhakti. Bhakti is a kind of yoga, you can say also. In the Gita, Krishna says, "Better than a jnani." Uh, uh, jnani means like. Um, how would you say it? It be, means uh, a person engaged in exercise of introspection and uh, dis- discrimination. Um, uh, scholar? Not a scholar. More than a, because it's. Uh, but a person who's led by the head. Hmm? Now you can be led by your head in a spiritual direction, obviously. Then you may be led by action in a spiritual direction. So we have a thinking aspect, we have an active aspect, and we have a loving, a heart aspect of ourself. I want to kind of differentiate between them. They all work together in a sense, but they're different components. We can be... (sighs) Anyway, so... There are other paths other than bhakti. Hmm? They tend to be more effort-oriented rather than grace-oriented. And um, they afford us with some acquaintance with the nature of reality. But just to use the example of the body, let's say action, the head, thinking, and the heart. Well, you know, the heart's the most important thing. That's what keeps us alive. The rest could stop, and we could still, we would still go on. So love is so central to human society, to all of us. It's what animates the world in another sense. 
Hmm? We're moving for that, as I said the other night. So bhakti, a path of love, and faith in bhakti comes from people who have bhakti, people who have bhava, have ecstasy in bhakti. That's a little contagious. So we tend to gather around such people and then their faith is kind of shared and we become affected by that. We don't even necessarily understand everything that's being explained about it, some philosophy to explain love. And uh, we try to speak in a, in a logical way, in a reasonable way, and so forth. But And everybody tries to listen with their head. And so they only let certain things go into their heart. But the objective of these types of discussions is kind of to, to suspend your thinking hmm, so that you can feel, actually, what's behind what's being said. Hmm? The, uh, the, the, uh, the motivation for that, it's a motiveless kind of motivation, kindness, compassion, and it, you know, there's nothing to gain from that, hmm? in a sense. No personal gain. Hmm? So, this is how we get involved in bhakti, adho shraddha. Hmm? And we start to practice, however imperfectly, hmm? And how do we practice? We start to imitate someone who we who has bhakti. They chant like this, and you know they read these books or that kind of thing. And you <laughs> you start to become uh, you know some type of a apprentice of bhakti. Your focus really for making progress more than on on Krishna, for example, who the that devotee is talking about is on the devotee. That's very pragmatic. Hmm? Why? Because, you see, love of Krishna and Krishna, they're one. Someone asked me, have you seen Krishna? I said, well, I wasn't looking. <laughs> I was looking for service to Krishna, hmm? but not to see Krishna. If in the context of serving that's useful, then all right, I'll say, I'll take a look. Hmm? Something like that. So. So where is Krishna in this context? Where is God in the context of bhakti? There is no place where God is more than in the heart of the, of the bhakta, who has who, bhakti proper, bhakti in ecstasy. Hmm? There's a saying Krishna gives in one of the Puranas, one of the ancient histories and sacred texts of India. Yoginam hridayeshu naham naham vaikunta tishtami yoginam hridayeshu I'm not in, in, in the spiritual world, if you will. Either I'm in the heart of the yogis, but wherever my devotees are singing about me, that's why I'm there. I'm present there. Hmm? Singing in ecstasy. I'm present there. Krishna means absolute taking the shape, if you will, that conforms with the heart of a heart full of love hmm? on the part of the devotee. It's like you, it's, you can't have a teacher without a student, so you can't have Krishna without the devotee of Krishna. And the devotee of Krishna brings Krishna into the practical. Like, you know, there's these stories about Krishna. You've heard them, charming stories, and, and all sometimes you wonder, are those really sto- true, or is that, what kind of story is that? And, and, uh, you know, can we trace it out historically, when it happened exactly? And there's some pretty impossible type of things that are described there in those. Uh, of course, that's a word that's not in the spiritual dictionary. Impossible. We should 
think like that. Hmm? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a material idea, a finite idea, hmm? impossible. So where is Krishna and with all those stories and so forth? I like to say that the 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 the, the, the truth, if you will, about Krishna, the, 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 you know, like in Christianity, they try to trace out the history of Christ and they put a lot of stock in that. The historicity, actually, this event actually happened. It actually happened, and it happened at this place at this time. Of course, people say, I don't know about that, and they have other evidences and so forth. But in Christianity, there's been a penchant for that for for generations, for centuries. To, that it's a historical event that actually happened, hmm. which is then by that seeks to generate faith in people, hmm. because we have faith in things that actually happened. <laughs> but what's actually happening? That's another another thing hmm, altogether, and so. We can't do that. We can't trace it out, you know, historically in such a way. And I don't think they really can in Christianity to the you know, satisfaction of everybody either. The miraculous event of the resurrection and so forth. Well, I'm not against that, but um, but what we do find is wherever there is this this bhakti and ecstasy, we find we have to think, oh, Krishna's there. <laughs> That's for sure. Hmm. Somebody's being animated by that, being moved by that in the world. It's in the world, but really not of the world at all. Hmm? And so, in a very prominent sense, then what I'm saying is, where is Krishna? In the heart of the of the devotee proper, hmm? who has attained bhakti and ecstasy, who then generates uh, kind of the byproduct of that ecstasy is is faith. Just like there's a nice thing, one of our saints he said. Oh, my misfortune is this, he said. There is so much ecstasy in these two syllables, Krishna. So much ecstasy. Hmm. That I am troubled. Because when that those two syllables dance in the courtyard of my heart, two ears and one tongue cannot do justice. I chant those two syllables with one tongue. I hear that with two ears and that those two syllables personify and dance in the courtyard of my heart. My senses become incapable of functioning in relation to sense objects and attachments and so forth. All my attention is drawn there. But my problem is I only have one tongue and two ears. I cannot do justice. I need millions of ears and millions of tongues to do justice to this one, these two syllables. Hmm? And so he needs help. She needs help. So then they become apprentices. In other words, this person is troubled by the, by the, by the ecstasy of these syllables, and other people notice it, and he or she is talking about it. It's really problematic. Hmm? And so other people start chanting, and hearing, and this way, this, 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 it's taken. He thinks, well, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> We've got more tongues now, and we got more ears to take advantage of this. He's a little bit pacified by that. Hmm? There's a little, little solace in that. Hmm? He wants to see all of the animation be the whole animate and inanimate world. Hmm? 
take advantage of these two syllables. It's like a medicine, but as I said, medicine it's a kind of a medicine that becomes a food in due course. There's a you know hepatitis, jaundice. Um, in India, if you get jaundice, then the, the, the in, in the times gone by, then the cure would be to eat uh, sugar cane. Sugar cane is a cure for jaundice, but it doesn't taste sweet when you have jaundice. You ever have sugar cane? That's very nice, but it's very bitter when you have jaundice. But when you take the cane, gradually the jaundice goes away. And then what you find is that the cane was always sweet, but you had jaundice. So this example may be given. We have we are jaundiced by avidya, by ignorance, by attachment. Attachment, ignorance means attachment. Hmm? We're attached to things, and we're not things. We've identified with things. We think if we have more things, we'll be able to do our thing. You know, <laughs> but but we're not a we're not a thing at all. So, okay, you know, a false identity, as I've many times said, is created by attachment to things. It's kind of an ignorance. We want enduring happiness. We want in, in relation to things that don't endure. That's ignorance. That's mis- misconception. So, in that condition, the sweetness, the ecstasy in this in this in this name, Krishna name. It can't be tasted, but if you go on chanting in good association, then why would you start? Because somebody else is tasting that, and it's apparent somebody else is tasting that. They got something to say about that. It's interesting. I don't understand it all, but it's it's interesting. It's it's compelling. Hmm? I feel that there might be something in this for me. I could I could go there. I'd like to go there. It's it's it's, it's charming. It's uh, uh, this is uh, what is happening. It's this shraddha, this faith, hmm? in a particular way, in bhakti. Is is being generated, so we get this faith from others who have it, and we become an apprentice, so to speak, in bhakti. And then we learn about, and we become interested in all those things that will be favorable to the practice of bhakti, and all those things that will be unfavorable. What I mean by that is, like, we talk about things and attachments, and how those are problems. Well, it's true they're problems, but as you might say, Swami. There's another problem, and that's giving up the things. That's a problem, too. <laughs> I know it's a problem, but I understand it's a problem. But giving them up is also a problem. And that's true. I agree with you. But it has to be done. But the nice thing about bhakti is it it does it in a very kind of user-friendly way. If I have to say to you, well, too bad, you have to do it. Give up things. You know, what, do you, what do you do with that? You know, or think about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> give you a headache. You know. So, Bhakti then says, "Well, look, look at it like this. Don't give up anything. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Add something to your life. Okay. What's that? We add Bhakti. So, well, and what shape? We add, for that example, taking advantage of this kind of sangha." Mm-hmm. You have the chanting, hmm? and I like that. I like coming here, meeting with you know such people. You feel you know nice, nice people. The chanting is nice, and so forth. And so let's read something about it. So that's not you don't have to give anything up. Hmm? A little money, buy a book or something. You know that's not a big deal. 
So then you're reading about bhakti from someone who's who's tasting bhakti, who, for whom it is no longer medicine but food. Hmm? Means they can speak about it in such a way that that that's that's compelling. They're, they're talking about it from a food perspective, even though it's a medicine perspective from us. Hmm? We can see at its point it becomes food. This person living on this. So uh, you 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 add this, and then you find out. You, so become interested, and you find out. This will be favorable for bhakti, so you embrace it. Hmm? And you find out this won't be favorable for bhakti, so then you give it up. Now, is that is that really giving anything up? Think about it. Hmm? In other words, if uh, if I find out that 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 uh, if I love you, and I find out that you don't like red shirts that really irritates you then you know then I then I think well no big no deal that's a big deal I'll never wear a red shirt again <laughs> you know because uh, I love you and you you don't like red shirts so that's so it's in, in other words there is some giving up but it's in a positive context bhakti is all is very positive there's no like it's not like a, a world denying in a sense hmm? um and it's in the, in the more you get to understand the object of bhakti, the ideal, you know, the 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 the, 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 um, the corresponding aspect of the absolute, the ecstasy aspect, the ananda aspect of the absolute, over the existence and the knowing aspect. This is the prominent aspect that's featured in bhakti. The more you become acquainted with that, and the more you begin to, and sometimes you get, just like when you're sick, you know, sometimes there there are better days and there are worse days, and on the good days it's feeling good it's not you know it's not a problem taking a medicine it's starting to feel good so you get glimpses along the way hmm? sometimes in the chanting you go there the mind stops and and, and that's a, a huge burden is lifted for a moment it comes back hmm? so this is yeah, bhakti in practice something like that yeah there are things to give up but not really there are things to add hmm? We understand this will be favorable for bhakti. This is my morality, for example. If it's favorable for my bhakti, I do it. If it's not favorable, I don't do it. Problem solved. Hmm? And that's what I'm, all I'm interested in. Hmm? Hmm. Me personally. So, this is, so for spiritual life, this is, we're signing on for something huge. You know, this is a huge thing. Hmm? But if we want experiential spiritual life, now we want being and knowing and ecstasy and not just believing or just thinking about it then we you know officially kind of embark upon a path like this and then that's our thing if you will <laughs> so and it's not a thing so that's good and therefore things that we are attached to that we find out they're not useful we we uh, we readily and more more readily more easily let go of them it makes sense to us so bhakti is kind of a very like i say like a positive orientation that makes the task of letting go of things um something that's um uh more easily done it's uh it's kind of like you know the, the leaves fall from the tree at the right time something like that so you nourish the tree and 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 it becomes clear to you. The name has a power to it that speaks to you. It says, yeah, 
you 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 chant and you're sincere and you, you you give your heart to that and so forth and you and then thinking comes after that and you can and you the first thing will come certain things well, this isn't that was good and other things that I'm not preoccupied with are, are not going to be helpful for this you keep coming back and associating and then the interest here the taste there increases and the other things start to fade hmm? Something about bhakti uh, in practice. There are stages. It starts with sadhu sangha like this. Hmm? This means there's no reason to it. It's another way of talking about it. Bhakti starts for no reason. What does it mean, no reason? No reason means it comes from somebody who is not under the influence of cause and effect. That's called karma. Hmm? We're moving in the world because we've, 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 um, how do you say, we've, we've sown and so now we're reaping, right? This is karma. We've sown some seeds and now we're reaping the fruits. So someone who has stopped sowing hmm, those, those seeds of exploitation, of taking from the world because they're not identifying with something that has needy, the bodily sense of self, hmm, and their heart is infused with bhakti, hmm, then such persons are not like moving for reason, for a cause, out of a mandate, hmm, but freely, out of like love is a free kind of movement. You don't have to do. You kind of have to, but you don't, you don't have to. <laughs> Something like that. So meeting such persons, this, this starts bhakti. Hmm? So in that sense, there's no cause to bhakti. Bhakti involves sadhusanga, and bhakti comes from sadhusanga. So bhakti comes from bhakti. Do you understand? Hmm? It means it's otherworldly, is what I'm saying. Hmm? It's not has, it's not grounded in this world. This is this is kind of a, you know, we've been involved in this a long time. Here we are, as I said the other night, in human time. We've been in other times too. We've been in plant time. Hmm? Animal time, amoeba time, aquatic time. We've been in all these times. Now we're in human time. Human time means it's time for the self to come out. And that's why the self in human life feels like it should be able to do anything and everything. Like I've said before, animals, you know, birds want to fly high in the sky and fish want to go to the bottom of the ocean. But fish don't think about flying high in the sky and birds don't think about diving to the bottom of the ocean. But human beings think about flying high in the sky, diving to the bottom of the ocean, you know, doing everything that every other species does. And the simple reason for that is because that consciousness doesn't have the is, is only restricted in a sense by the body that it's in, the vehicle that it's in, to express itself. So when the consciousness, the self, the atma is in a bird's body, it's restricted by the restrictions, the karmic restrictions, if you will, of the bird's body. We get in a human life, then there are some restrictions, but the self is coming out. It starts to think about itself, as I said the other night. And it feeling itself, it feels like I could do anything. I could fly in the sky, I could go to the bottom of the ocean. All these things are not really about the bird's wings or the, fi- or the fish's fins. It's about the fact that there's consciousness there that's animating matter, hmm? making movement possible, making experience possible, and so forth. I'm a unit of that experiencing capacity. That's what I am. I'm now in a human vehicle and I'm feeling myself and I'm feeling my possibilities. 
without, however, good sangha, good association, I try to pursue those possibilities in the framework of my humanity only. And it becomes problematic. I meet with my shortcomings. I become, like I said the other night, a big animal, try to take over the world and change the nature of nature and all such things. Hmm? But with, when we come in touch with sadhusanga, real sadhusanga then, we have a, an influence in our life that's not of the world. The consciousness question of human society, what am I, why am I, this why question, you see it can't be answered by nature alone. How questions can be answered? How to eat? Every animal has a question, how to eat. Nature answers it, right? How to sleep. Every animal has a question, how to sleep, and nature answers it. How do I defend myself? Nature answers it. Every animal has some system of defense, right? Whether it be horns or fast legs or, or you know, claws or a tail and whoosh, the skunk lets out his, you know, fumes and fumes and <laughs> uh, it's built in to nature. These are all how questions: how to mate, how to sleep, how to defend, how to eat. Why do I exist? Oh, that's enough, that's different. Nature doesn't answer that Why? because what's happening: the soul of nature is asking the question. You see? The subjective aspect, not the objective. Nature is ob- the objective, the experienced. I'm the subjective, the experiencer, and I'm asking about myself now. Hmm? And that answer is not going to come from matter because it's a consciousness question. Hmm? So that has to be answered somewhere else. That's what books like the Gita are about, these, these revealed books. They're, they're very different books. That's what Sadhu Sangha is about, which, without which we really can't understand the text very well. There will be so many questions. Hmm? We, we, we have a feeling for it, but there would be a tendency to misunderstand it due to our orientation and attachments and so forth. These texts are like a passive agent of divinity, and the Sadhu is like active agent, can say, well, did you understand? You go, yeah. And then they kind of can say, what did you understand? And I can test and see if you really understood, and I can clarify it. Uh, and, and, and be active. Hmm. This kind of thing, this sadhu sangha, this is this is what it means. If something happens in our material sojourn after many, many, many lifetimes. We meet a real uh, sadhu, a real experiencer. Hmm. This is how we really begin to embark upon a genuine spiritual path. The inner, it, inner, this inner, inner, interceding, if you will, into our karmic involvement. Karma is a hugely uh, complex issue. If it's true, in theory, that we have been in every species of life and we've been interacting with matter in so many ways and sowing so many seeds, and the, 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 the measure of our debt is huge. I mean, it's just vast. When it's asked in the sacred texts, how did our life begin in material existence? The answer is, it has no beginning. Anadi, there's no beginning. And you go, well, don't think about it. <laughs> it says, it has no beginning. Don't think about it. Huh? But it says, material, our material orientation can end. It can end. Hmm? And it ends by divine intervention. In other words, 
we've we've sown and now we're reaping, and it's so complex. We're almost how you say, we're, our life is almost like science likes to think in some circles, deterministic. There's no will. In other words, you've sown seeds, you reap the fruits. The fruits also come in the form of tendencies, attachments, preoccupations, and so forth, which cause you to respond to events in a particular way, based on what you already did in the past. Do you understand? (laughs) Your will, the more you've identified with matter and sown material seeds invested in a material existence, so to speak, the more you've, you're, you're, you become like matter without a will. Hmm? Practically, uh, you, 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 your animation becomes become suspended in much as, well, like, what, what, is, what is ice compared to water? Ice is water in suspension. You can cool water with it, but what can you do with water compared to ice? I mean, you can swim in it, you can bathe in it, you can make electricity out of it. It's it's just incredible. So our self, our unit of consciousness, the the, the, the self that we are, the unit of consciousness, when it identifies with matter, sows material seeds, so to speak, practically it becomes so involved with with matter and the repercussions of that, those sowing of those seeds, that we become like matter, we become like ice instead of water frozen over to our possibilities, our potentiality, and so forth. Hmm? So we need some melting process. That's what this is about. This is for melting hearts, Hmm? actually. But you notice, in a way that's thoughtful also, Hmm? it makes you have to think about it. Hmm? It's not just a feel-good, you know. That's nice, too, but but to feel good and, and to feel... Uh, that it's uh, good in, in a wise way, in a thoughtful way. Hmm? Hmm? This is the idea. So, this is how we get involved in bhakti. The divine intervention, it comes in. That we, don't, we don't even maybe look for it. Maybe it looks for us. Hmm? Or maybe we did something. Certainly we did something. Hmm? At somewhere, at some point in our life. Hmm? There was a sadhu. He was chanting. Hmm? And in the jungle. And and you were in the jungle, too. Hmm? In a jungle body. Hmm? And, uh, you know, you were in a mongoose body. And so the sadhu was chanting and a cobra came. Hmm? And the cobra was uh, bite the sadhu, and you in the mongoose body took out the cobra, which mongoose do. It's okay in that <laughs> realm. <laughs> and the sadhu was saved. So you 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 did something. You didn't. You don't know what you did. You're a mongoose. You just you know <laughs> going after a snake. <laughs> but there are further implications of that. That's how generous bhakti is. You see. Bhakti thinks so. Something. This is some kind of kind of pre-bhakti, some kind of pre-bhakti here, and so something accumulates from that. And over many lifetimes of unknowingly being involved, we come to some partial knowing. Hmm? Like now, you're all here. You came here because you thought, well, "Let's go here, Swami. Talk. We heard him last night. Let's go. You know, let's go today." 
I don't understand everything. I don't necessarily believe everything either. <laughs> but it was it's it's cool. I mean, it's 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 interesting. It's there's something there, and I and I have some affinity for that. I like it. I don't understand it fully, but I'm going to go. I'm going to chant. I'm going to listen. This is like with some knowing, from unknowingly being involved, partially knowing we're in, we're involved. Hmm? That's how it works. It happened to me too. So, <laughs> and then at some point in the context of that sangha, it just kind of starts to it hits you, and and you, and you start, and and all of a sudden, isn't it? You just understand. Hmm? Is you just understand, and everything that was said. For so many times that you came, all it all they all put, so all put it together, and so this is not a rational exercise. You see, it's really not a rational exercise. We use reason, <laughs> but it it's it, it's it's really the the cause of bhakti is outside of reason, and why we identify with the reasoning of bhakti. Like I'm kind of giving some of that. There's non-reason reasons for that. Hmm? It's like Bhakti is like fire. If you touch fire, well, you get burnt, right? It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Hmm? So if you touch bhakti in some way, even unknowingly, this is a different thing than, you know, than, than all the things we touch. It's bhakti. It's, it, it's, it's a divine kind of current. Hmm? Where does bhakti come from? It comes from Bhagwan. Hmm? And how? In the form of sadhus. Where is bhakti? In the heart of the devotee. In ecstasy, that's where Krishna is, hmm? and so we come in touch with that. Let's say knowingly or not, it has some effect. Gradually, again, we start to kind of find it interesting, and so and then it's one day we think, I'm going to do this. This this it, it all kind of like comes together, and then we formally disembark or embark, I should say, embark upon the path, and we say, you know, I'd like some of those beads, and you know. And I would like to know the things that are favorable and unfavorable, and uh, so on and so forth. And, and and gradually, we learn. And and sometimes we find some people go fast, hit the ground running. Hmm? Some people go slower. All the flowers don't blossom at the same time. There's a pass to this. It means there's a pass to this, and it means that in this life we may go so far and understand so much, and not complete. And in the next life we'll. We'll, we'll we'll take birth again, again in a human dress, hmm? and then we'll some karma that's in the way. We'll get rid of that, and all of a sudden we'll find ourselves in this kind of a sangha and interested in yoga and bhakti. And then we take it up and we run faster, because hmm? where we got to the last leg, we pick up where we left off. That's how it works. You take birth. And some residue of karma that's in your way gets burned off first, first 15, 20 years, something like that. Hmm? <laughs> well, could be earlier, depends on your past. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there it is. And it seems this, this is what you're about. Hmm? And you pursue it. You quickly rise to the point where you left off, and then you have to exercise yourself a little bit to go to the next step. Hmm? And with good with good help. and And so... We do this number of times, and after some time, you, you end up sitting on this side, you know, and you're, and you're the teacher, and you've got a teacher too, so you're a student as well. Hmm? So it's a very otherworldly um, idea, and it's about um, 
very much about like uh, positioning oneself in such a way as to attract the sympathy of bhakti. Bhakti's alive. Devi, she's alive. Hmm? Bhakti's like the life of the absolute. It it, it animates. Karma is kind of animating us, you know, as automatons, so to speak, moving within the karmic parameters and so forth. Bhakti is is is, is a live current that's, that that intervenes. Let's say, for example, you have credit cards, right? So well, maybe, uh, and so you max out on your credit cards. So when you max out on your credit cards, then you can only the only money you have to spend from what you earn is to pay your credit cards. You don't have any money for any extra thing. You you can't you know go to the movies or whatever. You're you're stuck. Hmm? So this is like our karmic implication implica- implication and involvement predicament. So there's a bhakti is like uh, you know you just you de- you de- you declare bankruptcy so the court appoints a, an attorney or something like that. And there's intervention with the creditors and so. So this is sadhu is something like that. He or she intervenes. You see, that's okay. Okay, yeah. yeah I'm gonna put you with it. Live. We ask you live within these parameters here. You chant this mantra, hmm? and I'll deal with the creditors here gradually. Hmm? I'm in touch with the you know who owns everything. So you're in good shape here. You know? The source who owns everything. Everybody's owing owing to that source. So we can have some power here. To negotiate enough to like give you a life where you can start to come out hmm? and have a spiritual practice and so forth. This is what really what sadhu sangha uh, affords us. So from that general sadhu sangha, we 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 get what we call faith. Faith is like the beginning, but there's a beginning before that. Like I said, if you plant a seed in the ground, what happens? When it comes up, you go, oh, there it is. But before it comes up, there's roots going down, right? There's movement underground that's invisible. So there's some invisible beginning to our bhakti, like that mongoose, you know, we were mongoose, we did that. Some invisible beginning. And that accumulates lots of that over lifetimes. Hmm? One time, we were with my Guru Maharaj and he pulled up in a car in, in a place where we didn't have a temple and he was going to stay in, in, in I think he was going to speak in some, some place, and so the, when he pulled up, there was a doorman. You know, the place had a doorman who opens your car door and so on. So one of my friends said, man, that guy, is, this is his lucky day. All he does is, <laughs> you understand, he opens doors, you know, every day for somebody. Hmm? And whoever's door he, door he opens for, what they're all about, he gets implicated in that to some extent. That's karma. That's how it works. You opened the door for that guy, and this was his agenda. Okay, you got paid for it, so that compensates a little bit for the karmic reaction. But anyway, he opened this door. That's all he does. This day, he opened the door to his whole new life, hmm? a beginning. You understand? Because the sadhu came out, and what was his purpose? Hmm? He got involved in that. So from that, that's kind of the underground movement. Then suddenly the plant comes above the ground. We call that shraddha. And why actually, shraddha means then faith, and it means a knowing. It's not just a mental thing. I believe it. I hope it. I wish it was true. When I die, you know, then then I'll know. No, it's a knowing. It's kind of a know. I know. I know it's right. I may still hesitate. (laughs) 
But if I very thoughtful and introspective, I know this is in my interest. I can feel it's in my interest. Even I can't even understand everything, I can still feel it's in my interest. So I go with that. Hmm? Gradually, then understanding will come. Knowing, you know, begets knowing. Hmm? Love is a kind of knowing, also essential kind of knowing. So from that initial faith, then what happens is where we get that in the context of sadhus and so forth. Then in that context, some sadhu really stands out. And we think I can put my you know chips here. I I, I feel this. I I'm. I get good advice here. My questions are answered here. The example here is 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 compelling, and so forth. So, then we say, "You have to help me." Hmm? So he throws us, or she throws us, a lifeline of 108 beads, and says, "Hold on to those there. I'm on the other end." You see? And you chant on them like this. You go around here, all the way around, and go back the other way like this. And he gives some, or she gives some, some practice, some daily practice and we execute that practice and then we get advice and we, you know, when we, we say sometimes we think oh, okay the seed so the seed's been planted now and I remember we talked about that mango tree the seed has been planted now there's watering of good advice good instructions and you follow the instructions the watering and so you go along with that and you're you know you see the trees coming up you know a little bit and and so you get encouraged and and sometimes you're a little discouraged because it's not growing as fast as the one next, you know, the other guy or something like that. And But the, 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 the one who's given the seed knows what's in the seed. He knows. She knows. So thinks that no problem, no problem. <laughs> Guru always says, no problem, no problem. There's <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> It'll grow. <laughs> he or she wants to see certain foundational understandings are in place that the house of bhakti will will go up. Hmm? If he sees that, then, like, my Guru Maharaj once, one of my godbrothers said, Guru Maharaj, I don't feel I'm making any progress. He said, no progress. He said, you have a human life? You know how hard it is to get? How long it takes for the karmic cycle to get to human? You're not making any progress. And you have a, 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 a Satguru, and you think you're not making any progress. How can it be? He had a different perspective. He's looking for a law over long periods of time. You think you've come so far. You've come from a time without beginning to being so close to the end of your material time, if you will. Because the distance that we travel from a time with no beginning to the time that we meet the, the to that time that divine intervention we meet our guru is so much longer in the time and the distance we have to go from there to the finish. It's so short. Oh, a couple of lifetimes, you know, something. We say, not in one, you will not become enlightened in one lifetime. And then we say, but in one lifetime you will. <laughs> and you should think like that. I will do it in this lifetime. How? By the grace of my guru I will do it. He has such kindness, such mercy. So Krishna is so kind, it's possible. Hmm. Not because I'm so qualified. Hmm. Some of my students, before they become officially students, they ask me, how would I become qualified for uh, be- to become a, your student? I just kind of laugh. I say, there's no qualifications. <laughs> huh? 
there's nothing we could do to, to I mean, I feel like this. I, there's nothing I could have done that would have made me w- worthy, if you will, that, okay, now, I, I've earned it, kind of thing, to have this kind of connection. I just feel like, oh, I'm just lucky, that's all. Good fortune. Hmm? Divine intervention came into my life. There must be some far-reaching reasons for it here and there, but I mean, I was a mongoose. What did I do? Just do what mongoose do, and it just happened to be in that, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm? So, this way then, with uh, we begin formally to practice, to chant on those beads, it's like a lifeline and so forth, and gradually we go. And our practice begins unsteady. Unsteady practice. And we're concerned. My, my practice is up and it's down, and, and, and then we maybe feel guilty about that or something. But no, this is a given. That's a given. Hmm. It's a given that there there'll be you have to pass through that. Hmm. Some there will be good days and bad days. It's funny. Uh, sometimes young monastics come to, uh, candidates for monasticism come to live at the ashram with me, and they stay for a little, for some time, and and then they have a bad day, you know. And they think they think maybe this isn't the right thing, you know. I tell them, you, know, you have bad days all the time. It doesn't mean you give up your work or your wife or your, you know, whatever it is. Bad days are everywhere. Hmm? Even in spiritual practice, there will be bad days. You should think like that. Hmm? And so, you know, it's not like we have sometimes a romantic idea about spiritual life. I'll chant. I'll float out of the room, and that'll be it. <laughs> It'll be, you know, that sometimes there are bad days too. Hmm? In, in that stage, then from anishta, unsteady, it becomes nishta. This is the real tangible progress. The practice becomes steady. Nothing can get in one's way. Hmm? One has answers for everything. Every doubt that arises can be answered automatically. Hmm? From this kind of practice, then, over over time, no no distraction. The mind isn't distracted when chanting. It's not distracted. It doesn't go anywhere else. It's drawn there. The intelligence is fully engaged as well in understanding, as far as possible, the path and how it works and, and so forth. From there comes taste, it's called ruchi. One starts to get a taste. This is when the medicine starts to become food. Hmm? From ruchi comes an interesting thing called asakti. It means attachment. And we think, wait a minute, we're well, supposed to give that up, attachment. This means attachment to Krishna. One becomes attached to Krishna in a particular way, in a particular sentiment. Hmm? And it's a big topic, but from there one enters into bhakti and ecstasy. There's inner life. Inside, invisible, is life. Hmm? And leela. Those leelas of Krishna that you see in the paintings, they're played out like a movie in the heart. Hmm? And one sees one's a place for oneself to participate in that divine play. Hmm? And one goes there and comes out, and goes there and comes out. Then one day goes there and doesn't come out. Hmm? This is called prem, then bhakti and prem, love of God. Hmm? So it's a. There is a method to the madness of, of bhakti. That's a little bit about it. Uh, any question? Yes. I have a question. Uh, I'm looking for some uh, insight or clarification of the notion of pratishta. I guess I understand it to be sort of the self-importance, um, or maybe convincing oneself that you know you're an ob- that I'm an object, 
and then convincing other people that I'm in certain objects so they don't impose their ideas of what kind of object I am or something like this. Um, but I'm just looking for some insight into that. What is pratishta? Pratishta is, it means position. It means petition, position. It said, tarko apratishtana, you'll get no position simply by reasoning. For every reason, there's another reason. For every way of argument, there's another way of arguing. It's, your argument is inconclusive. But anyway, that's a side topic. Position. So, uh, in the context in which you're asking about it, position means that we all want to put ourselves forward, have some position, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, and to... Uh, um, and some people, obviously, in circles more than others, people are sometimes full of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And they overflow in ways that are unpleasant to us. That guy's really full of himself, you know, we feel. That's like what Pratishta means in an, in, a, in, a, in an extreme sense. So in the context of bhakti, then, this Pratishta can come. It's kind of a pride. Hmm? We can have pride in bhakti. We can be proud that I'm that I'm 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 proud to be a humble member of such a such a lineage, something like that. Huh? But um, pratishta takes the form sometimes of thinking oneself to be more advanced than one is, because one has a head full of information, and they can repeat it, and other people can think, well, he really knows something, and then you you ride on the waves of that. Yes, I really know something. That is pratishta. So that is, that's like a, like if you if you compare the bhakti to planting a seed, it's compared to a vine. Actually, you plant the seed in the vine. Why a vine rather than a tree? Because a vine requires holding on to something to go up. Hmm? So bhakti is about acknowledging that our dependence. Hmm? It's not for rugged individuals, <laughs> in a sense. Uh, it takes courage, but. But at any rate, when you plant the the vine and it's going up and, and, and hanging on to a sadhu, for example, and, and, and growing in the context of that association hmm, with a significant other, if you will, uh, then weeds can come too. So when you water it, weeds can come. When you do bhakti, things can come. You can you can become smart. You could become psychologically balanced, possibly. You. <laughs> It works the other way sometimes too. I've seen, but those are the weeds. But even psychological balance and other things could be weeds. You could f suddenly find yourself, um, like, when I was a disturbed person. I took to bhakti. Now I'm really balanced. I could have a life. Hmm? And then you move outside of the context of bhakti, even though that was a result, a side effect of bhakti. Hmm? It's very interesting. Um, the, uh, you, uh, yeah. uh, so there are in the ocean of bhakti. There are other waves that come with it. Hmm? We learn not to ride those waves, but what bhakti is actually about. So this pratishta, then, is very much the antithesis of bhakti in a sense, because pratishta, if we pratishta is like who ha like. A position, so I want to say like it has a positive connotation, like a positive magnet. I've given an example before. If we look at the Godhead as a positive magnet from which everything is emanating, right? a positive magnet 
emanates magnetic power out and holds everything together, right? Something like that. Now, if if we're a flake on the other end, magnetic flake, here you have this big magnet, and then you have this magnetic flake on the other end, and it has a positive charge to it, what happens in relation to the magnet? It's just like pushed away. Hmm? If that magnetic flake has a negative charge, then it gets drawn in. Hmm? So, I mean negative in a positive way here. Hmm? In other words, humble and not self-asserting and pushing oneself, so to speak. Uh, you know, in, in, in the world it's said you get ahead by stepping on other people's heads. And in bhakti we're always putting our head on the ground where other people have stepped. Something like that. Hmm? So it's it's moving in a, in, a, in a different way, in a way that would look like you would be going backwards, but you go forward. Hmm? So this pratishta is very on a, on it's, it's 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 appropriate for the godhead. Godhead is the pusher, the sustainer. The, but for us to try to be so, it's very inordinate or very very uh, unbecoming, hmm? and it, it it repels us from the center. So therefore, pratishta should be. Avoid it. Of course, now we don't. We're not trying to make you neurotic or anything like that. Sometimes you have to assert yourself, right? Just to live in the world and feel good about yourself. And people suffer from lack of self-esteem, and we're not advocating advocating here that we should all suffer from self-esteem in order to make spiritual progress. So we have to look at it from a theological perspective. And then maybe you want to look at it from a psychological perspective and think, well, well that's not, it could be damaging. You know, I've got to like, you know, assert myself sometimes. And so you have to got balance the two out. In relation to bhakti, in relation to Bhagwan, we should not assert ourselves. We, 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 after all, I mean, he's attractive and, and, and kind and so forth. There may be other circumstances where we have to assert ourselves because the environment's different. We're not dealing with the center. We're dealing with the circumference here, and so if I don't assert myself, then you know I won't get the job. If I just go, I don't think I'm very good. <laughs> you know, the interview. I'm really bad. I, I, I'm humble. I'm not the best. You know, that's not the way to, you know. So you don't want to read this kind of thing into, you know, in a wrong way that you end up. It's a theological kind of idea. So that help. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Another question. Yes. Um, I've always had a really strong draw towards the divine feminine, but also I really feel Bhakti very strongly in my heart. Uh-huh. So I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little more about um, the role of the divine feminine where there's maybe some play there. Krishna is male, right? Krishna is male. I mean, he's not male, but we got to talk about it. Right, and so the pusher, the sustainer, in a you know classical sense, we live in a different world. But um, you know, men tend to be, women tend to be more nourishing types. You know, they're more more naturally nourishers, and and um, so bhakti is very feminine. Actually, bhakti herself is feminine. And Krishna is, in it, we're just using words, but uh, to help us give a reference, and Krishna is male. Hmm? 
So, Krishna is the object of bhakti. I mean, bhakti, in other words, focuses herself on on Krishna. But bhakti in the full measure is personified as Radha. So you've seen Krishna with Radha, Radha Krishna. And in our bhakti tradition, then, we put more emphasis on Radha than on Krishna. We put more emphasis on bhakti than on Krishna. We say that, for example, Radha personifies the fullness of love that Krishna corresponds with. Radha's love is Krishna. In other words, love requires an object to repose itself on. So the object that, uh, that corresponds with the personification of the fullest love, hmm, that is Krishna. So Radha and Krishna are one in that sense, that the perfect love and the perfect object of love correspond with one another. So our ideal is not the perfect object of love, Krishna, but perfect love, hmm, Radha. So we, in, in our tradition, we are more focused on Radha, which is the feminine aspect of the divine, than on Krishna. Hmm? And it gets very extreme, actually, in our, in our tradition. Some of the saints, they say, I'm not even interested in Krishna. Hmm. It's very esoteric, but um, we see that Krishna is the absolute conquered by bhakti. That's why he's like kind of um, in in the bhakti context. Krishna is depicted as being as having some weakness. We find in the Achilles heel of the Absolute here hmm? that he's affected by love. He becomes melted by that. So Radha is the personification of the highest love. So our ideal is, is we say, Jairadhe. The land of Krishna is called Vrindavan. And so who's the Ishwar? You know what Ishwar means? Ishwar means controller. Hmm? So it's kind of a way of saying God, the controller. Hmm? Who, who, Who's the Ishwar of this place? Hmm? So, who's the Ishwar of the world? That is, a, that is Vishnu. Vishnu means all-pervasive. Vishnu, he's the Ishwar. There's no... Uh, Radha doesn't find a prominent place there because there's not much bhakti in the world. Hmm? We go to the other side, to Krishna's idyllic kind of realm, if you will, poetic realm, and there we find that who is the Ishwar of Vrindavan? The answer is, it's not an Ishwar, it's an Ishwari. Ishwari is the feminine. Vrindavan hmm? Ishwari, this is the name for Radha. So the idyllic realm of Krishna is Leela. The Ishwar is Radha. Bhakti is the, is the, is the supreme. Hmm? Krishna is touching the feet of Radha. That, I mean, that's, that's like, he's bowing down to the feet of Radha. He's saying that, he says, in the Gita, Krishna says, mm-hmm. As people give themselves to me, I give myself to them. Hmm? And in the Bhagwat, the sequel, where it's the, 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 Krishna's leela is being played out, 
hmm? his life has gone through and so forth described and then he meets with Radha hmm? in the village in the forest actually then he and there are other maidens also and then he disappears from their circle to see how they'll react they came in the middle of the night they heard his flute they came they gave up everything there were a thousand and eight reasons why they shouldn't go but they went hmm? they met him in the forest then he disappeared after they had risked everything, their reputations, everything, and he disappeared. So then he wanted to see their reaction. He, then he watched, witnessed their reaction. He was amazed by that. Hmm? And then, and then Radha's reaction, in particular, the, the full personification of the full, of fullest love, Bhakti Devi, the, the goddess of of, of, of divine love. Hmm? Then uh, he saw that, and he th- and then he said, he said, I said it before that as people give themselves to me, I give myself to them. But you've given yourself to me in such a way that I can't, give, I can't, you've completely purchased me and I have nothing left. Hmm? So what I have to say to you is that your bhakti is the result in itself. And I want that. Hmm? I wish that I could have that. You have... I'm the king of love, but you have completely exhausted love is reciprocal. My capacity to reciprocate, I'm completely yours, and I still owe you. <laughs> I'm completely yours, I'm completely controlled by you, I'm owned by you, and I'm still in debt to you. So he, what he's saying is, bhakti is the supreme thing. Jai Radhe, we say. This is, this is, it doesn't, and so there's a whole story to this too. There's an avatar of, of Krishna in connection with this who brings this particular path of bhakti that we're involved in to the world. Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya. Krishna is dark in complexion and Radha's fair in complexion. She's the color of, of compassion. Hmm? He's the color of, of, of romantic love. So Krishna wants to taste the bhakti of Radha so he in, incarnates, if you will, as a devotee of himself to try to uh, taste himself from her perspective. That is Sri Chaitanya. And he brought this chanting of Hare Krishna to the, to the world. So it's a very feminine path, actually. Does that help? Yeah. 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 We say that there's no meaning to Krishna without Radha in the full sense of the term. Hmm. The whole the highest ideal is to become like such a such a maiden and control Krishna. I mean, the object is not to control Krishna, but is to is to is to love. So here you find an interesting thing because here you have God on one side, and you have us over here, hmm? and and he's like the ocean, and we're like the drop, and Bhakti's like the channel, and they both meet there, and Radha is both deity for us and ideal of devotion. She's drawing the us and Bhagawan to a central central point. Hmm. So Hare, sometimes we chant Hare Krishna Ram. Hare means also Radha. Hmm. It's a it's a Sambhog mantra, a mantra for unifying Radha and Krishna. It's an interesting idea. Does that help, yeah? Yeah. So you're in a good place for that. You're in a good place for that. Hmm.
Yes. I have a question, um, and I think that previous um, explanation for the last question was maybe helpful, but um, so, and the question like, where is Krishna? That he's in the heart of a devotee proper, and um, that he must have a devotee to exist. So, what if, um, would Krishna have love if he had no devotee then? It's something like this. Let's say you have sugar. Sugar is sweet, right? It, it, it doesn't, uh, but it, it doesn't require anybody to taste it. It's sweet, but it can't taste itself, right? So Krishna is like sugar, sweet, but in order to taste himself, then these are just moments in eternity, okay? And we talk about it in terms of time, but there's no time involved. The one who is sweetness personified, in order to taste itself, becomes two. So the one becomes two means Krishna becomes Radha Krishna. Hmm? The two. Radha is the taster. Hmm? She, Krishna is tasting himself. God is tasting himself through his devotee, hmm? is the idea. So, um, so yeah, yeah, Krishna is sweet without the devotee, but... There's, there's no there's no tasting of the of the sweetness. Does that help? Yeah. So um, it kind of takes two to tango, they say. So, but the two are one in a really in a in a, in a meaningful sense. They're they're one in purpose and uh, but the different enough difference for there to be these reciprocal dealings. And this is all, of course. There's what you ask is, of course, it doesn't really, in one sense, uh, it's a theoretical. That doesn't exist because there are devotees of Krishna. There always have been, and there always will be. And so uh, we have to, of course, we talk about somebody becomes a devotee, I suppose, but uh, but uh, there may be a beginning for some, but there's no beginning to bhakti. What else? Another question. Yeah. You had said something last night about we are never really evolving as Atman. Mm-hmm. I think you said that we're either remembering or recognizing ourselves along. Mm-hmm. What I'm, well, there is some evolution, I should say, but the way I was speaking about it is in terms of our uh, material existence. In other words, we're... Um, so you're a unit of of Satchitananda, eternity, knowledge, and bliss, a tiny particle of that, let us say. So there's never a point when you are not that. Hmm? Uh, and there's never a point you'll be something different from that. Hmm? But there are points in your life where there was less awareness of that, and that those points are different embodiments, if you will. So let's say you're, for example, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, you're, there's consciousness in plant life. So let's say you're an eggplant, you know, for a lifetime. Okay, so you're still such at Ananda, but the extent to which you know that, you experience that, is, is limited. As you get, come up the scale, so to speak, of the life of ladder and in in, into a more complex form of life, then there's more sentience, more feeling, 
and ultimately you come to human life and there's a sense that I am. Hmm? And so you are the same in all the time, but the different coverings are greater or lesser. And so rather than the soul, I mean, changing, hmm? the Atman, changing, what's changing is the surroundings. And those surroundings facilitate or inhibit the self experiencing itself to be a unit of such and ananda. So the soul isn't like growing in a sense and becomes sat. Now it's going to become chit. Now it's become ananda or something like that. But um, but there's the removal of the covering hmm, that inhibits the self, the atman, from experiencing itself. Does that help? Now, to go further, there's also another idea. Mist is interesting as well. Um, we want to say that bhakti is a gift. It's not a right. That's interesting. So we're a unit of sat, chit, and ananda, but when the sat, chit, and ananda becomes infused with bhakti, then it has a capacity to exist in eternity in a way that exceeds its own uh, constitution. As a par- as a particle of satchitananda, you could you could sit and taste what we call brahmananda, brahmagyan. But by being infused with bhakti, you can participate intimately with Bhagavan. In other words, there's another shakti. I'll explain it like this. It's complicated. There is maya shakti. Maya shakti means the the, the shakti of of illusion, of bewilderment, hmm? that makes these magical shapes like male and female and and uh, and so forth, American, Indian, and they're all they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. It's a combination of various material ingredients, right, wrapped in a karmic package, and, and so forth. This is the work of the Maya Shakti, and and then then there's us, and we're under the influence of that Shakti. We're a particular Shakti. We're called Jeev Shakti. It means life Shakti, or sometimes it's called Tatasta Shakti. Very nice word. Tatasta means it means the line that demarks water from land. Have you ever seen it? Can you put your finger on it? <laughs> There's a line that demarks water from land, but you can't touch it. Hmm? So we are Tata, like this. Tata Shakti that has the capacity to exist on the land or in the water, dependent upon our association. We can come under the influence of one shakti. That's maya shakti, for example, beyond the beach. Hmm? Or there's another shakti, then it was the third shakti, because there's the maya shakti, there's the tata, tatasta shakti, and then there's swarup shakti. Swarup shakti means a divine energy that gives shape to the world of Leela, for example. It gives shape within consciousness. Here we have forms made out of matter, so consciousness can take a shape, pure consciousness, hmm? and move. There can be movement, that means, like Krishna's everywhere, how can he move? But in Leela, Bhagwan is moving. Hmm? Under the influence of this, this, this 
kind of swarup shakti. It's kind of let's call it an internal shakti. We'll call the Maya Shakti an external Shakti. We'll call ourselves an in-between Shakti. Hmm? We can come under the influence of Maya Shakti. We become, we act like matter, like we have restraints and so forth that really are not part of our constitution. Hmm? We're going to die. It looks like, but actually we're eternal. We can be unhappy, but actually we're blissful. You understand? Hmm? We can be in ignorance, but actually we're a unit of knowing. But under the influence of this external Shakti. We kind of live in the shadows of reality, hmm? and with the in, uh, we could remove that shakti. Where, 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 where would we be? And we'd be kind of like sitting still, like a unit of knowing, being, and ecstasy. Emphasis on kind of being really in that position. Hmm? But with the ingress of bhakti, this is a surup shakti. Then we come under that influence, and we can take a shape. In, in 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 spiritual existence in lila and so forth, hmm? so that's kind of a grace. It takes us beyond what we're constitutionally unto ourselves capable of experiencing, although we're a unit of that has the potential to experience it. In other words, we have the potential to experience the, uh, the Godhead. Through association of that internal shakti, that we wouldn't have otherwise. Therefore, it's a gift. So there's a kind of a growing of the soul in that context. We we say we grow from satchidananda to sandini, sambit ladini. These are big words that mean like sandini is, means existence. Sad also means existence. Sambit means knowing. Chit also means knowing. Ladini means ecstasy. And ananda also means ecstasy. But there's a there's a kind of like a quantitative difference. And so the sat chit ananda kind of grows then on that side to be some bit sandini, hadini, and what has capacity to function in, in Leela. It's a very extraordinary um, idea. So that means this that bhakti is more than removing ignorance. Some paths are about removing ignorance. And the result is shanti, shanti. Shanti, you understand? You still, still, still. Hey, if you don't have any needs, why move, right? Because we have needs, we move. But then from the bhakti perspective, we say that's true, we agree. But there is another kind of movement, nonetheless. It's not out of necessity, of short, of, la- of shortage, but out of fullness. That's called lila. And sometimes you just need to dance. Because you feel so full, and you are overflowing. Hmm? This is Krishna. This is Brahman, moving, and Brahman is everywhere. How can it move? If you're everywhere, how can you move? You understand? I'm everywhere. Well, I can't just be over there, and now I'm over here. Hmm? So Brahman is everywhere. The word for the absolute, but Bhagwan Krishna, in Leela, is moving and. It's it's Brahman moving. That's like well, it doesn't compute, right? But it happens. Hmm? That's Leela. It's a kind of movement. It looks like karma. Like Krishna Leela looks like some karmic movement. The guy's milking cows, you know, and playing a flute and all things. Other people do that too. Hmm? But it's a whole different affair. Hmm? It's under a different shakti altogether. That shakti, that surup shakti, is bhakti actually. 
It's animating Brahman. Brahman is the absolute kind of a sleep, a huge slumber after a very, for us to identify with Brahman hmm, as a particle of consciousness is again, shanti, shanti, it's a big rest. It's like, oh man, I'm going to sleep. I am tired. That was tough. You know, millions of lifetimes under the oppression of my mind and senses being dragged here and there. It's over. It's over. Oh, a big rest, a deep sleep, and no dreaming even. It's so peaceful. Hmm? To shut down the physical and the psychic dimension entirely, which are so troublesome. Hmm? Hmm? You see? That's, it's, that's why it's called shanti, shanti, peace, peace, peace. It's, a de- it's compared to a deep sleep. Like when you go to sleep and there's just no, not even any dreaming. Hmm? Just restful. It's a big... Ah, it's like the first letter of the Sanskrit alphabet. Ah, it's, it's also a way of saying God. Ah, whoa, man. So there, there's some bliss in, in relief, right? But let's say, let's say you have cancer and you found out you didn't have it. Wow, what a big relief. You can dwell on that for a while, but then you want to get out and do something too. Hmm? So there's life after relief. That's what bhakti is. Hmm? <laughs> mm-hmm. we, <laughs> we're not so much interested in 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 the, in, in, in the sleep only, hmm? but but after some rest from that, get up and there's something to do, and it's 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 a it's a result of being more full, being infused then with this grace, which is which after all this is a path for getting that grace. Hmm? There are paths to go to shanti. It don't involve much grace at all. You can almost think your way there. Hmm? There's a lot of thinking about it. And you've got to think how to stop your mind and, and so forth. It's, it's difficult. But there are paths that are oriented towards that and they're transcendent. And that's where you arrive. Hmm? And it involves only clearing the ignorance, clearing the covering. But what we're interested in this is clearing the covering in the context of being infused with grace, which means that the covering is cleared and more readily because there's more power from that side to help me rather than an effort-based attempt. So it's, it's more readily dealt with, the ignorance, the covering, dispensed with, hmm? more easily, and there's more result. It doesn't, it's not just the clearing of the covering. Hmm? I get then connection with the with the source of the grace as well, rather than just sleeping, so to speak, at his feet or in his arms or something, in, 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 something like that. So bhakti, again, as I said earlier, has a very positive connotation. The way in which we remove the ignorance is very positive. It's very, it's, it's, it's grace-oriented. You follow, right? It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different uh, take on, on Vedanta. Hmm. It's called Bhakti Vedanta. <laughs> what else? Any other question? What's the time? Three? Three. One to three. There it is. We're done. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs>